0: Takeout is cool, but delivery gets pricey. So, like a phoenix from the ashes, indoor dining is back at Forge Eatery. I use the analogy because the food is fire. It's a new approach to farm the table. No overalls, just dope food. Try my favorites, like the mushroom stew with pine nuts and ricotta, the cornmeal fried happy oysters, and the seared duck breast. Also, ask about the chocolate chip cookie tins. Mini chocolate chip cookies with a dusting of sea salt simply delicious. Head on over to ForgedEatery.com to check out the current menu options and make a reservation today. Forged is located at 3520 Chestnut Avenue in Hamden. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in this Art on MTR Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is chef, uh, chef partner, uh, farmer, shucker, true Chesapeake's chef, Zach Mills. Welcome to
1: the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So I've got questions. I'm going to get them answered, I hope, because uh, <laughs> I find sometimes I'll have something it's like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. Oh, I'm not really interested. <laughs> so um, I, I, I described a few different things. But um, if you will, describe what your work looks like at um, be, between the, the, the things that you're doing. And if you
1: will, describe what Chesapeake cuisine is. So, yeah. So what we do here uh, at True Chesapeake, uh, as well as the local oyster, because we have, we have both, uh, both brands from kind of a higher end level, as well as uh, the more fast casual, um, and both are focused on Chesapeake Bay Cuisine, which really is just, it's very ingredient focused having to do with uh, uh, what is local and what is seasonal. Um, across the whole kind of Chesapeake Bay region. So obviously we focus um, uh, both our restaurant, all of our restaurants came from uh, an oyster farm that my partner Patrick started um, about 10 years ago. And uh, that spawned uh, the local oyster and then into True Chesapeake, the restaurant. Um, And so we obviously focus on um, Chesapeake Bay seafood, Uh, pretty heavily as far as um, uh, both shellfish and fish coming out of the Chesapeake Bay or at least the region um, and the Chesapeake Bay watershed Um, but we're also very produce driven um, as far as what's uh, what's seasonal and what's local and supporting the local farms around the area Um, and we do we do some meat as well and that all that meat's all coming local uh, as well so uh, it's really just taking the best ingredients from the area, which are beautiful ingredients all grown around here, and just letting them shine. Um, and uh, uh, we do a lot of uh, spins on things we kind of grew up with. Um, I like to I like to find ideas and and uh, and play around with just like things that are simple, to me that I grew up with that I really loved. And then how can I kind of elevate that a little bit um, so that a guest can sit down and say, well, that doesn't look like what I remember, yeah. but it tastes really good. And it then it jogs the memories of, of, of something that they kind of grew up with around the area. Um, and that's that's pretty much our goal.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's great. That's a great way to break that down. Um, I would be a terrible guest if I didn't use that opportunity. I mean, terrible host, rather, if I didn't use that opportunity to segue into my next question. What was your first memory of your love of cooking?
1: Uh, My love of cooking. um, So on uh, my dad's side of the family, his, his mother um, was first generation Italian um, actually, uh, uh, Calabrian on one side. And then, uh, uh my great grandfather was, uh, Sicilian. Um, so there was always food in the house. Um, it was one of those things like something was always cooking between, and my mother's a great cook. And my mother kind of came up cooking, um, with my father's mother and, um, uh, just always food and family around and just that's those are my fondest memories growing up. Is just a lot of food, a lot of family, and uh, it really just uh, it, it bloomed into what turned into a career.
0: So, what what would be that kind of uh, an integral meal? Because I, I hear about Italian food is a big thing. So, um, what what was that integral meal? To, that that item that would pop was it rajols Was it like spaghetti dinner? What was that that situation like?
1: Honestly, it was the you know the simplest thing to this day. Um was, was my my grandmother's meat sauce. Um and it was just beef and and red sauce and herbs and it was like the simplest thing, but the spaghetti was homemade. And um that was just something that like I I still to this day will make. Uh, my mother still makes it. Uh, my grandmother uh, uh bless her uh, Tells my used to say that my mother actually perfected it and made it better than she made it, uh, which, you know, when Italian grandmother tells your your Polish uh, daughter-in-law that she's <laughs> cooking it better. Uh, that's pretty that's that's a pretty big compliment. Um, yeah. And uh, that's just something that for me, just it, it's something that I always kind of remember and cherish and still go back to. Wonderful.
0: Rockfish. Oysters are staples of the region. What, yes. what are some of the most popular menus, uh, items that are on a menu? And how often do you get questions about the snakehead on the menu? <laughs> I want to learn about this.
1: All right. So, well, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of staples uh, for sure. Oysters coming directly from our farm. That's kind of our no brainer. Uh, we get those fresh in uh, right out of the water, less than 12 hours um, uh, coming up several times a week. Um, so always doing uh different plays on oysters uh, is kind of our bread and butter but we also have our staples um, as far as that stuff goes uh rockfish on the menu when it's when it's seasonally appropriate uh they do little kind of uh they, they stop fishing a couple of times a year uh just to make sure that the the population is doing okay um so but when rockfish is on it's always a pretty easy seller even if people like, don't fully know what it is, but when it's explained, it's a hybrid of a bass and, you know, it's local and, you know, uh, during trophy rockfish season, um, when the big ones are out, um, we can get some pretty massive, beautiful fish coming out of the water. Um, crab obviously is always going to be a big one, at least in season. Um, although this year was tough, just, um, uh, I don't know if you saw the crab meat prices. I mean, it's been a, a big, uh, a big news thing for, for the last couple of months, crab meat prices are about double uh, yeah. what they, what they have been in years. Um, I usually pay somewhere in the $15 range and I'll pay it over $30 a pound right now. So we're limiting our crab dishes. Although we have our staples, there's a crab cake on right now. It'll probably stay on for the rest of the summer and then I'll probably take it off for the winter. Um, and then we do a crab kind of our crab dip meat mac and cheese. Um, that's been a staple since day one of the restaurant. So we've been keeping that, that rolling. Um, and then as far as snakehead goes, you know, snakehead and um blue catfish are two things that we keep on the menu a lot of the time, both of which are invasive species. Right. So um for me as a chef, that's like the best possible thing. It's like because anything, any sustainable seafood can become unsustainable when too much of it is being caught, cooked, served, what have you. But as a chef, when we get told, like, not only should you cook these things, like, please, for the love of God, cook these things and get them out of our water. That's really fun for me as, as a chef, because then I know I'm doing my part. Um, and snakehead, you know, is surprisingly mild. Um, I think what people make the mistake of doing is like Googling what it looks like uh, in normal time, because it's, it's terrifying. Um, as well as like, if you see those videos where it like literally can like walk on land a little bit, with it's, with it's, uh, uh, fins, which is terrifying. Um, and I hate snakes. i like t- whole, wholeheartedly hate snakes. So, um, and they're a little slimy on the outside, but once you, once you actually butcher it down to a piece of fish, it's actually this really mild white fish. Um, and so we actually, we sell a lot of snakehead and I, I was actually taking it back the first time I put it on the menu here about how many people were like, I'm in, you know, I'm out, I'm out for a dinner, screw it. You know, give me a snakehead. Whether I like it or not, I'll try it. And, um, and people have been really uh, pleasantly surprised, but yeah, we try snakehead and, uh, again, blue catfish, same deal. Invasive species want to get it out of the water. Um, so we, we try to cook as many of those bad boys as we possibly can.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, sci-fi uh, movie fish. So oh, it's good. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, same with. I mean, same with monkfish. Don't ever Google a monkfish if you want to eat a monkfish. Um, Like there's there's a lot of weird stuff out there, but uh, you know what? You you take it down to its uh, to its flesh and it's delicious.
0: So so going back to the 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 thing about the crab, right? Now I I didn't really get a clear like answer on it because I've asked a few people, and I cook a fair amount of crab cakes. I usually smoke crab cakes because I'm I'm bougie in that way. I like it. I like it uh I, I felt it was not necessarily it's a shortage per se in terms of the what's in within, within the water, but it's a shortage in who's processing and how can it be processed quick enough because I remember that was a, that was like a, a industry that people weren't being hired, people weren't working and just dipping.
1: Correct. Yeah. Um, and there's a very seasonal, um, uh, worker cl- uh, group that, that does the picking. Yep. And a, a lot of them were not, um, actually travel, uh, travel to the U S from other countries every year just to do for the summer, just yep. to pick crab for some of these crab houses. And, um, they weren't allowed in because of COVID. Wow. So, um, so that's, that's a big one. um, uh, but there's also just yeah, I mean it was it's a, a worker shortage for sure. Um, there's less boats in the water too, um, mm-hmm. it, and and the weather wasn't a great crab weather year, so it was kind of a perfect storm of a million different things that really. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, the comps become just as expensive. So you know it's like okay, Maryland crab meat is obviously the most expensive, and that's what we use here predominantly. But then there's other versions of blue crab, yeah. going south of here, um, into the Gulf and, and what have you. Um, but even those are, are are ridiculously expensive now. So um, it was really a perfect storm, and and it's funny because a lot of chef, if you talk to chefs this time last year, um, we were all saying to ourselves, oh, the Chesapeake Bay is going to have a boom year because <laughs> nobody's, you know, restaurants weren't open last year we figured there'd be, there'd be a, a plethora of all this stuff. And then all of a sudden we get our restaurants back open. We're raring to go. And then boom, 30 bucks a pound for uh, crab yeah. meat. And it's uh it's a shame, but you know, we're just, uh, we're, we're navigating as best we can.
0: I I did the a couple of weeks ago, I did the uh, trip to Rhode Island. I went to um, Providence and I, I had these markers of things that I wanted to get that I felt were synonymous with the area. I was like, I need to get a lobster roll, which when we went up there, it went up to $33 for a roll. And wow. they had a similar situation. Yep. <laughs> and I had a Narragansett as well. I was like, all right, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. So from, from your vantage point, someone's coming to Baltimore. What is, and, and maybe it's ghost because it's always going to sound like it's a crab cake, but what is that food item and maybe that alcohol item that someone has to have if they're coming here? and they're visiting and they're going to check out Baltimore. And it's like, I need to get this experience. What would you recommend to them?
1: You know, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it's hard to tell people that like they shouldn't go to like fade and get a crab cake. Right. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that like, I mean, even to this day, um, some of my mentors, will come visit will actually go to fadley's first and then come see me afterwards (laughs) and give me a hug and be like but i had to go to fadley's first um and and so that's you know um but you know you also i mean there's just so much good like stuff though like i mean it's yeah you've got your crab cakes but then you've got your beef places you you know you've got i mean there's just the, the the area has so many good delicious things that and there's so many people doing really good food that you know i would just tell people to like eat around and just kind of do do their thing and obviously you know going out and getting a crab cake and an orange crush would be the easy way to go (laughs) um you know and i mean as a as a you know person who's grown up in maryland my whole life you know even still to this day do i want a crab cake and a crush every now and then sure absolutely (laughs) um but, yeah, I would just say uh, eat around. And, you know, I still think Cantlers down in Annapolis is church. Uh, going there a couple times a year to pick crabs. And um, that's something that I will, all you know, always send people to if they don't know where Cantlers is or about, about that place. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit. The nice thing about Baltimore is just, I mean, this whole region is just the food's really good. And there's a lot of people doing some really cool stuff fantastic and I, I think it's one of those
0: almost it has that vibe of almost being a hidden gem and uh but then but then people who know who really know food who know quality who know diversity and and like some people will say it's burgeoning some people will say it's definitely there but you know people can't really crab on and say we don't have good food here because we, we definitely do absolutely and, um, so and and I think one of the things that gets exposure because I believe you're maybe the third or fourth chef that has had a connection to Food Network, and so I read that you were not Chopped. So tell me about that
1: experience. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a while ago now, uh, but every now and then it creeps its head. I'll, uh, I was actually flipping through the channels like a year ago. All of a sudden, my face was on there. I was like, "Oh, this is weird. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen too often." Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I had been people have been like telling me to give it a go for a couple years and and i i just kept saying no and then finally i was like you know what sure let's give it a go and (laughs) let's let's try it out for a day um frankly the entire day of filming was kind of a blur um and it's it was just one of those things that i really thought i was going to be like super nervous um but then when i went in and it was it's it was you know there's all these cameras around and you see the guest judges and, and you see the set that you've been seeing on TV for years and years and years. Um, and I literally like the moment I stepped foot out there, all of a sudden my brain just kind of went to cooking. Um, and it was like the greatest thing ever. Cause I was like, I figured, figured I was going to walk in and just freeze. Like I figured I was like, Oh, I'm in a lot of trouble here. Um, but honestly, like once it came to like that, it was, um, it was, Sorry, my partner's taking a picture of me right now. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Nick. Uh, Yeah, it was honestly, it was just business as usual once I got down to it. Um, And once I kind of figured out what was going on, it was really just like, okay, we got to do this and like, look at the clock and put your head down and just start going. And, um, you know, the one thing that uh, I just, I kept thinking back to was, um, I think I, I was actually pretty like self deprecating. (laughs) <laughs> at the judging part and they were lovely to to pull a lot of that stuff out of there but um like literally right off the bat they're like what'd you think of your first dish i was like "Suck." and they're like <laughs> i'm sorry what i'm like look this sucks like i could have done this i should have done this I, you know i i wanted to do all this stuff and they just looked at me like i was crazy and i was like look i'm just being honest i'm an executive chef like i should be the biggest um critic to myself all right. the time anyway yeah. um and uh You know, I just, I was just honest with them and they kind of looked at me pretty funny. Uh, But, uh, but they, I I think, I I think they kind of like, they understood obviously, but I I just, it it was kind of funny to look at everybody around me when I said that, because I was like, I'm just telling the truth, man. Like that was 15 minutes. I have no idea. Like, I'm glad I got something on a plate, but it's not, you know, it's not what I, what was up to my standard. Um, And then, you know, after the filming, then it's just like months of like, hoping you didn't say something wrong. Um, or like, you know, cause it's such a blur and you're like, your head's down and you're cooking, but then you're doing these interviews on the side and, you know, all this other stuff. And then you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, do the voiceovers for everything. And, and, and then you, you know, the, the one thing that was always in the back of my head, uh, with TV was, uh, you know, they can, they can edit you however the heck they want. Yes. You give them reason to do so. Um, and so I was just kind of I, I was trying to stay you know I'm not that guy i i i i i'm i i was super just stoked to be there and and you know just trying my best, and I'm not really a like i'm gonna kick everybody's ass kind of guy hmm. um so i I didn't think it i thought everything would be fine, but you just never know, so i just um I literally didn't tell anybody <laughs> except for like the my bosses knew back then I was working for a hotel. Um, and, uh, and my bosses knew I was going, um, and, um, they knew, uh, they, they kind of were like, all right, we're just, we're going to keep it under wraps unless you want to tell people. And I just decided not to. And, um, I literally did the first, when it came out, um, I actually never told my mother <laughs> I wanted it to be a surprise. Um, cause the rule of thumb in my household is if my mother cries because of a surprise, it's a really good surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh and uh, so I literally we didn't tell anybody. I just told my family to show up at my dad parents' house at you know this time on this day. And I walked in, and uh, everyone's like freaking out. They're like, "What is going on?" But my <laughs> my dad knew because my uh, my dad wanted to like read the contracts and all that stuff. Um, and then uh, yeah, we turned it on. And my mom was like, what's going on? And she like <laughs> looks at the screen and then she didn't even end up. It's a good thing. They taped it because she didn't end up watching like the whole first half because she was calling everybody. She was. <laughs> She's just like, and, and I got a lot of family and she is calling everybody to to <laughs> turn on the food network right now. So um, I just watched it with like my immediate family, just so I could like have a drink, yeah. breathe and just be like, all right. I said, everything, like everything's good. We're good here. Like I didn't do anything stupid, you know? Um, and it turned out fine and it was, uh, it was fun to watch. And, um, I lost in the last round, um, but, you know, I lost to somebody that was really good and she was, she was awesome. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a cool experience. And I mean, you know, I lost in the last round, but, you know, I got through the whole day and, and, um, you know, I, I, I had fun cooking and yeah, it was, uh, that was a long day and, uh, experience. And I remember just, uh, I used to live in New York, uh, before uh moving back home and uh so i just wandered around the city afterwards like being like what just happened to me like <laughs> i just kind of like just wandered around and uh you know contemplated life for a little bit but uh you know it's, it's it's a cool thing to be able to say i did it and uh you know have a record of me cooking on national television um but yeah every now and then when i flip through the channels and my face is on there that's still a, a weird thing after all these years
0: yeah. Um, I, I have a uh, thing. I kind of took a similar approach where I haven't really told anyone, maybe maybe one person, maybe my dad or what have you, that I'm maybe going to be in this uh, this television series and, you know, do some background stuff for it. And I got to be a drug dealer. So I was in my element and uh, <laughs> and um, it, it'll it'll be interesting. So I'm kind of like waiting till I know an episode drops. And it's like, hey, come on, guys, let's come over here. It's like, is that, is that you? Oh, it is. I want to be able to do that because I've I've heard that I have multiple doppelgangers, and there was a uh was a dude that retired from the NFL like last week, and my dad was like, "He looks a lot like you." I was like, "You're you can't say that as my parent. You can't say that. Like, <laughs> that's that's weird to me." <laughs> um, now this is not a, a question framed around like what's your number one person because I I think sometimes that throws people off, but. When someone when I, I'll ask you, is there a what chef comes to mind when you're thinking, like, that's the person I admire. I really like what they do. Who's that person? And and why are
1: they that person for you? Well, yeah. And you're right. There's it's a tough question because there's a lot. Um, it'll always go back to my original mentor, Michael Mina. Um, so uh, chef, uh, I worked for him for 10 years um, and kind of I came up like through his, his, uh, restaurant group. And really that's where it made me who I am today. Right. Um, and Michael for being, you know, a celebrity chef who's on television and owns, you know, or operates, you know, 45 restaurants, I think it is oh. now all over the country as well as, you know, one in, um, uh, in, uh, Dubai, um, uh, for him to have been such a, a lovely friend and kind of second father figure to me. Um, it's just huge. I mean, he literally would like drop everything and call me, um, if I needed something. Um, and when I decided to leave, um, uh, the restaurant group to pursue my own uh, uh, group that we're doing now, um, he was literally the most supportive human being on the face of the planet. And uh, between him and my two kind of corporate chefs, um, Dave, Adam Sobel and David Varley, um, but the three of those people really molded my career and are people that I still, you know, I'm over three years removed from from being gone. Um, and I can call any one of them at the drop of a hat. We still all talk all the time. And it's really just a lovely thing. And they're also just wildly talented human beings like just like i think i've gotten to where i am just to try to like even be on their coattails like it's just they're just that good and i'll still to this day like flip through instagram and see something one of them did i'm like jesus like (laughs) i wouldn't have thought that thought of that in a million years and um you know that's the cool thing about this is like if i'm chasing after these these people that are just pinnacles to me I think yeah. that just keeps me on my toes. and makes me better at my job. Wonderful. And it's good
0: to have that, that kind of connection with people that you're, you're, you're moving through, you're learning a lot from,
1: and it's, it's, it's just big. It's big. Absolutely. No, to have anybody that, that, that put that much time and effort into me, I mean, I just, I couldn't be luckier and it's really just something that, um, you know, I thank, I thank them still to this day. I just like, you know what, like every now and then I just shoot one of them, with text Like, thank you. Like I just got through the weirdest day and like <laughs> your guys' voices were in the back of my head being like, all right, here's what you do. You got this, blah, yeah. blah, And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I, I can't thank them enough.
0: Nope. Um, uh, speak on an experience that has changed how you view food. You, you touched on earlier, just the, um, using, using stuff that's local. And I, I, I noticed that that shift is, is, has been really big, especially with the, the people that I've talked to who are, who are here, obviously, who are in Baltimore, right. who are in this region, they always go local. cause we have a lot of good quality stuff here, produce, meat, fish, seafood, the whole gamut. So speak on that, on an experience that kind of changed
1: how you view food. You know, I don't know that it was necessarily one, as far as more of a I want to say a progression, I guess, um, you know, I, I, always wanted to be being from here. And the fact that I've been cooking in Baltimore for, for, uh, a long time now, um, as well as just in the area of DC, uh, on the Eastern shore of Maryland, I've cooked most of my career in, in the DMV area. And I always wanted to showcase, uh, all the beautiful food. And it was just figuring out exactly what to use, when to use it, how to use it, and I think early on in my career, as a especially when I became a head chef for the first time, I think I was almost trying to do too much. Um, like just I, you know, I, I my brain wasn't there yet, and I, I just I wasn't sure like where to pull the reins back, where to. Um, and I think my food has gotten a lot simpler over the years. It's just look, these ingredients are great you don't need to do 5 million things on a plate to showcase these ingredients. Just give me some really good ingredients and let's not screw them up. And let's put them on a plate in a pretty way and make sure that everything complements each other. And like, if a dish has three ingredients on it, but they are three awesome ingredients, why not? And um, I did that in the spring with a, with a poached rockfish. That was literally poached rockfish with, um, with asparagus and a blanc sauce. That was it. That was the only thing on the plate. Um, oh i put a tarragon on there too it, that was it and i even said you know maybe i can't maybe this is not enough food for somebody and people were really digging it the entire spring and you know i think that's kind of where i started viewing food um uh more recently and you know covid also gave me a lot of time to think uh yeah. way too much time to think and writing food and you know i'm always i'm always jotting things down like an idea pops in my head i try to always have my my i keep an app on my phone that I can put notes into. And so I spent a lot of time, like just like writing ideas down over COVID and, and I've just watched them get simpler. Um, Not all of them, but just like, you know, I just, I love the farms we're working with and I love all the food we're getting. So it's like, all right, how can we just, let's just highlight these three things and be done with it. And then let's go to the next dish and let's, you know, do something similar. And I think that's really kind of where, as the progression has happened, kind of where where I've been trending at least recently.
0: I, I, I like that the way that you describe that, where you, you you have minimal ingredients, but the execution is there. How how they're being combined is there, and just just the, just the thought, like why why would you do these things together? Oh, because it's going to give you this flavor profile, and this is what makes sense, and. I watch a fair amount of cooking shows. When I was in Rhode Island, every day it was just on Food Network. And my my partner was like, what "The hell are you doing?" And I was like, I, <laughs> "This is what I do." So, uh, and, and I'm I'm not a snob, but also I am very aware of what I like and kind of the and, and why I like it. So when I start looking at something where someone is being gratuitous in how they're doing their food, and it's like, we know certain things taste good. We know that bacon tastes good. We know that butter tastes good. So when it's an excessive amount of something that's already tasting good, it's like, that's the thing. You put it on a burger, the burger is probably lackluster. Like, How can we deconstruct this? And that's how I've approached it. It's like, you're masking something. And I'm sure I've gotten rid of a lot of potential guests by saying that, but that's how I kind of view it. And the simpler it is, it's like, oh, okay, wow, that's really good. Well, wow. How fresh is that fish? That's amazing. Or wow, that's, that's what this sauce is. And it it helps me appreciate and understand food a bit more. So I'm an educated
1: consumer as to where I want to spend my ducats, as it were. Absolutely. No question. You you couldn't have said it any better. I think sometimes, you know, as long as the product is great and the execution is there, you know, there shouldn't be anything to hide behind. And uh, you're absolutely right. There's definitely things that, um, you know, every chef does it. and it, It's no one's fault. It's sometimes you think this really cool little accoutrement is going to be perfect for this. And, and then you're like, oh, yeah, now that's all I can taste. Or, that, you know, it's really just all about, you know, coming up with the idea, diving into it. And then the biggest thing that I think a lot of chefs make a mistake of doing is not actually sitting down and eating their food. Um, And like, just really like eating the physical dish and be like, you know, the eatability of something is something that one of my mentors kept hammering home with me early on was, you know, you can come up with all these really pretty dishes or this cool technique or this or that, but can you eat it? Like, you know, like, can you knife and fork this right now and like it not get all weird or like doesn't work or, you know, so um, that's been a big thing of just really sitting down and just like eating your own food and being like, Okay. You know, I thought that looked really cool, but that doesn't. And, uh, you know, or vice versa, or, you know, I don't think this works, but then you taste it. You're like, oh no, we're good. Like that's that's a great dish. So, you know, it's all about, it's all about just being able to edit yourself and being, being your own biggest credit.
0: Last two questions I have for you. Um, so we, we touched on ingredients. So it, it makes sense to segue into this one. What four ingredients are just always around or completely necessary, necessary in your
1: kitchen? Um, you know, I was going back and forth about whether that, you know, it's like, is there a difference between my personal kitchen or my restaurant kitchen? And there really isn't. Um, so, uh, number one is eggs. I'm a huge egg person. Um, I, I, I have trouble editing myself of not putting eggs on brunch dishes. Like no joke, like like I think at one point unapologetically every single dish except for one on my brunch menu had an egg on it, um, and it was different eggs. But like it was you know poached here, uh, dehydrated egg yolk on this, and yeah. and um, but the eggs are just super versatile. And you know I I was trained in French culinary uh, uh, in college, and um, eggs were a big part of that. And um, I just I love a good egg dish. I, I you know regardless of the dish, I'm like. You throw an egg on that, uh, so that's 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 number one. Um, then after that, it's really, you know, I would say, I so the running joke in my kitchen is just fresh chives on everything. Uh, like no joke, I I I think that's another one. Like I I throw chives at probably too many things, uh, but they're delicious and they add a nice you know a nice element to things and they add a nice color to things. Um, and once a year in the spring when chives blossom, this little purple chai blossom is my favorite garnish in the history of garnishes. like, and you can't get them. You can get them for like two weeks um, wow. and some, some, somewhere I'm going to grow enough chives that I can just harvest my own chive blossoms once a year. But it's like chive blossoms and chives to me are like really just a delicious thing. And then after that, it's, it, it would be acid. It would be vinegars, lemon, um, you know, f- citrus things like that, because, um, I think that's the one thing that, um, uh, all cuisines besides salt, the acid. So, okay. um, you know, those are the two seasonings that I can't live without. So I'm, I'm kind of a vinegar nerd, uh, any kind of weird artisanal local vinegar, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I probably spent a little too much money on vinegars, um, uh, but it's just like, I like having it around and each one is different. And especially when you get like the close to home guys that are doing them locally, it's nice to support them. And mm. it's just, it's just, uh, you know, you can get so much out of so many different vinegars that, um, those are, those would be the ingredients that I, I have to have around at all times.
0: Yeah. Um, vinegar is almost to me, akin to a really good olive oil. You can you spend a lot absolutely. of money. You just absolutely through it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the company that we use mainly, um, honestly, they're super affordable for the fact that they're doing it artisanally. So that's uh, it's supporting a local guy and it's, it's pretty affordable for all the really cool stuff they're doing. So that's nice. Fantastic.
0: Last question I have, uh, if you can have a meal with anyone, well prepare rather prepare and eat a meal with anyone, who would it
1: be? What would you make? So that's, a, that's always an interesting question. Um, you know, I I used to work for for fancy hotels, and uh, I'm I'm super lucky that I've cooked for some pretty crazy people that uh, I'm not really you know at liberty to speak about. Uh, uh, but it, I, I mean, I've cooked for a lot of people, um, and I was fortunate once that Anthony Bourdain came in and ate. Um, and unfortunately, I actually had to leave because of a family emergency. So. Um, I saw him. He sat down. You know, we started the meal, but I, I actually had to go. Um, so, you know, obviously the the great man has passed since passed, but uh, you know that was somebody that like that was a pretty big pinnacle to to yeah. just see the man, and uh, you know something that I think most chefs have read all his books and and um, uh, it, it just you know and all his TV series and everything. He's just special to a lot of people. So I think about that day, and you know I. I had to go. So I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form, like upset that I didn't get to physically cook up a meal. But if I had, to, you know, if I had another opportunity, um, hands down, it would be, it would be, uh, Anthony Bourdain and it would probably be, you know, that would be one of those things that I would want to pull out some weird porky things. Um, just cause I know he would appreciate it. Um, and, uh, I have a local, um uh, a good good friends of mine uh run a uh a, a heritage pig farm um outside of frederick maryland um and they just have beautiful pigs and we do a lot of charcuterie and um, a lot of drying of pork. So i'm actually working on uh, making a, or I'm drying a country ham right now um and we're just we do a lot of that stuff for fun and um uh, that would be something I would, I would want to cook for him. Is just like, put all these like random parts of, of, of a pig on a table and just be like, here, this is what I cooked for you. And I think he'd be pretty stoked about it.
0: Have added pig
1: parts. <laughs> Ex- exactly. Just like literally just like big old board of just like goodness and just be like, here go. Um, and just see what I thought. And, um I think that would be a, uh, kind of a ballsy move, but I think he'd probably dig it. Uh, so that's all I
0: have. Um, I want to in, um, invite you to, um, please, um, plug, plug away, um, social media, website, location, all that good stuff. Um, and thank you so much. This has been a treat for me.
1: I, it was a real pleasure. We really appreciate you, uh, you reaching out to us about this and we're, it's a, it's an honor to be on here. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we have, uh, True Chesapeake Oyster Co. and, uh, at, uh, on Clipper Mill Road in Hamden, um, that's our big restaurant. And then we have, uh, two local oyster locations at the moment. We have uh, the local oyster in Mount Vernon marketplace in downtown Baltimore and in Boston quarter, uh, in, uh, Ballston, Virginia. Uh, and then, um, we're also uh, about to in the late fall, we'll be opening our first brick and mortar local oyster in locust point. Um, so that's very exciting right next to the Anthem house. And, uh, yeah, we've got uh, we've got the local oyster and True Chesapeake on Instagram. Um, local oyster actually each one of their uh, each one of our locations has their own Instagram account, and uh, the website for True Chesapeake is just truechesapeake.com. It's got not only information about the restaurant but uh, information about our oyster farm as well, which people are more than welcome to come visit. Um, we're also selling our oysters at uh, uh, all the local Whole Foods as well as uh, we're doing a pre-order program through Mom's Organic Market. So uh, we've got a lot going on and uh, we're just uh, excited to still be pushing and uh, pumping out food uh, after uh, a long year and a half. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank you again
0: and I want to sign off with for um, Chef Zach Mills. I'm Rob Lee saying is there is great food in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.